Pastor Javen will begin a new series today called Money Perspective. With so many headlines that revolve around our economy, we need to make sure we have a biblical perspective on money. Take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Okay, we're, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 25, we're reading 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many more. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you enthroned me with two, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of, of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what, what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked servant, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, then... You should have put my money in deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received back interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the man who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for your precious Son, who died and shed his blood that we can have the privilege of being in your presence. Thank you for a worship leader who leads us into your presence. And thank you for a pastor, Pastor Javen, a man of God who courageously teaches us truth from your living word. Bless and protect our leaders, Lord. Bless everyone here that we may sense your presence throughout this week and that your word and message here today would work in our lives. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Miss Phyllis. Appreciate that. I don't know if any of you are like me in the fact that uh, you are, I don't know if claustrophobic is the best way to, to, to put that label on me, but I, you don't like tight spaces. Anybody else not like tight spaces? 
I can't stand tight spaces because I can't stand not being able to move. Uh, I don't <laughs> my, uh, frustrate my wife, uh, especially in traffic, uh, because if I come to a place where I see a standstill, I immediately begin, begin looking for another way. All right. I don't care if it takes me longer. I just want to move. I don't want to be kept in a space where I can't move. All right. I also don't like heights. I am not a big fan of heights. Now, I don't know if it's necessarily the height that that is the fear because the views often when you're up in high places, they're great. I think it's more so the, the fall that could lead me to my death that bothers me from high places. That's, that's just kind of the, the thing. Now, so I have this dysfunction where I don't want to be, not have any space, but I also don't want to have so much space that it'll kill me, right? So I'm in this place. And, and this is where you can pray for my family because I've got, this is where I borderline on insanity. Um, I'll still allow myself to stand in crowded tight lines in tight spaces to get inside a seat, strapped down in a tight spot that'll ride me really fast up high heels called a roller coaster just for the thrill of it. Now, if I ever get stuck at the highest point of a roller coaster, strapped into a seat that I can't move on, then all aboard, I, 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 because we are joining Javen's crazy train. I mean, that's exactly where we're going in that point in time. So, I, you know, I want to, we're, we're beginning a new series today where we're going to, uh, where my hope is that we create the proper space to have the proper perspective to properly understand money. Everybody's like, yay. Right? Love to talk about that in church. Now, we just came out of this series where we looked at what it means to live a life of significance in God. In our summer reading series, where everything begins and ends on our dependence in God, where we let him transform us within. We learn to love others well, and then we see that our life is about giving him glory and doing something for his glory. I want us to understand that our perspective with money in our life can often restrict us from living the life the way God has called us to live this life. Um, Earlier in the book of Matthew, Ms. Phyllis read from chapter 25 earlier in the book of Matthew, Matthew records this teaching that Jesus gave. It's a, a teaching on a mountainside. It's become known as the sermon on the Mount. I just want to share with you a few of those verses from Jesus's teaching, because I want us to understand something from what he, what he said. He said, it starts in Matthew six. It starts in verse 19. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth eat them, rust destroys them where thieves break in and steal, store yourself, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where, wherever your treasure is, this is a key here for what Jesus is saying, there the desires of your heart will also be. And then listen to what he says. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And listen to this. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will either be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Now, this context where Jesus is talking, he says, your eyes. Yes, there are literal eyes. They are what we see with, but it's also metaphorical in understanding. It's how you view things. It's your perspective and how you see something. And he says that phrase that it just jumped out at me when I was reading this again and studying this, even if the light you think you have, the way you see something, you think it's the right way, but it might actually be the wrong way. And you don't realize how much darkness you're allowing in your life. And he's talking about it from the context of money. And from there, he goes on and he talks about the, a famous passage of scripture you've probably heard before about worrying. Don't worry about where your provision is going to come from. God takes care of the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. If he takes care of those, he's going to take care of you. He knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. And he's giving this teaching about how we can so often let fear and worry about where our provision is going to come from, come in our life. It's a very relatable teaching to us even today. When you look at the headlines and the news and you listen and you see all these things around you, you you begin to wonder so many different things. Are we in a recession? Are we on the cusp of a recession? Is is there going to be food on the shelves in the coming? Because I keep hearing that we're going to run out of wheat and we're not going to be able to have the things that we need to have. What about gas prices? Are gas prices going to keep going up or are they going to keep coming down? Are they going to go right back up? Am I eventually going to have to buy an electric car? If I buy an electric car, am I going to be able to heat and cool my house at the same time as charging my car? Because some people tell me I'm not going to be able to do that. Do I need to go back to a horse and buggy to drive my family around in town? But if I go back to a horse and buggy to drive my family around in town, will I have enough wheat and hay to feed the horse to get around in the buggy? All the humanity. I don't know what in the world. Right? This is what happens when we get in this place and we're worrying about where our provision is going to come from. And as I'm going through that spill, some of you are want, your, your mind necessarily wasn't on having faith in God. It was what politician do I blame for the situation that's putting us in? But Jesus taught us all throughout Scripture or throughout his life when he was here. And we see it all throughout scripture that having the proper biblical perspective on money and our relationship with it is very important. If we don't create that proper space to have a proper understanding of it, then what happens is it can impact and affect our work life. It can impact and affect the way we think. It can impact and affect our rest in this life. Now, one of the first things I want us to understand it, it, it really quickly is that when we're looking and we're talking about money, it's not about rich and poor, okay? We need, it's, it's about being godly or ungodly. Because here's the thing. You can be any of those and be godly, or you can be any of those and be ungodly. You can be poor and be godly. We talked about the Philippian church a few weeks back and their generosity. Look at what Paul said about them in his second letter to the church of Corinth. In chapter 8, he said, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia. These were the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. All right? So these are those churches. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very what? Poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. That's just one example. You can be poor and be godly. But understand, you can also be poor and be ungodly. Look at what the proverb says, Proverb 21, 25. 
despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin for their hands refuse to work. And you say, well, that's a cute proverb about how the danger of being lazy. Well, Paul thought it was very important too. And he wrote it to the church of Thessalonica because apparently they were dealing with it. And he wrote about it in both of his letters. The first one, he said this in first Thessalonians chapter four, he said, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. Some of us are like, yeah, tell that. Okay. Working with your hands. And just as we, just as we instructed you before verse 12, he said, then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and watch this. You will not need to depend on others. All right. Now he writes about it again in a second letter and he hits it a little bit stronger. Look at what he says in second Thessalonians, the second letter, chapter three. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. What was the tradition he's talking about? For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. Verse eight, he said, we never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. Verse 9, we certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. In verse 10, he says, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Verse 11, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Verse 12, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn your own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. In other words, what Paul is saying is there is a balance. Yes, we are called to help people. Yes, we are called to give to those in need. But there's also a balance of people who take advantage of that and are not willing to do what they can do on their own. He would say you are poor and you are ungodly. He would go on in verse 15 and he would say, understand this. They're not your enemy. Those people are not your enemy. They're still your family. But even sometimes with family, you have to cut family off so that you don't enable the wrong that they're embracing in their life. And that's tough. So you can be poor, you can be godly, you can be poor, you can be ungodly. You can be rich and you can be godly. You can have wealth and you can be godly. Abraham was extremely wealthy and the promise of God began with Abraham. Job was extremely wealthy. And even when everything was taken from him, he never lost his dependence on his father. And he kept the relationship with God and everything was restored back to him twofold. Matthew writes about a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. Several of, of those in the gospels write about him. And Matthew describes him as this. He says, Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. And here's what he did. He bought a tomb so that Jesus's body could be laid in that tomb so that Jesus's body wouldn't be thrown on a heap pile of other dead bodies in a ditch. You, those are just a few examples of where we see people with wealth in scripture, but they were godly. You can be rich and be godly. You can be rich and you can be ungodly. We see that in the Herods. We see it in the Pharaohs. You see it in the rich young ruler who was unwilling to follow God because he was unwilling to give up his love for his resources and what he had. It went right back to what Jesus was saying. You can't serve God and money. You're going to end up serving only one. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in his letter to those who were being rich and ungodly. Look at what he said. Look here, you rich people. <clears throat> Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away. Your fine claws are moth-eaten rags. You hear what he's echoing? 
He's echoing the, the words of his brother Jesus. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers who you've cheated their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury. Look at what he says, satisfying your own desires, your every desire. You fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. He was pretty serious about what he was saying. He was heeding a great warning. He's echoing the words again of his brother, Jesus, and saying, where you store up your treasure, if you're trying to store up everything and build this certain wealth for yourself to satisfy all your own desires, it is, you're, you're just going to lose all that. There's a greater way to see what you've been given. And he's saying to these people who are rich, you're using people for your own gain. You're not loving people for the glory of God. And you're not trusting the one who gives you what you have. What do you mean, Javen, the one who gives you what you have? This is where our perspective shift needs to start. And this is what Jesus was showing us in this parable that Ms. Phyllis read in Matthew chapter 25. That we have been given what we have from God. Now, James mentioned this judgment day. He, he, he's again echoing the words of Jesus because in this passage of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is in the middle of a teaching on end times. Chapter 24, he starts, chapter 25. This, he's teaching about the end of time. And he's saying to them, he's, he's letting them know, listen, there's a day that's gonna come where the life on this earth ends and eternity on the other side of this life begins. And we all have to give account for the way we live this life on this earth. And we don't know when that day is. Jesus even said he didn't know when that day was. Only the Father in heaven knows that day. But what Jesus is saying is this, that that means every day we live matters in the eternal perspective. We live every day as if any day God could return and ask us to give account. But I want us to see that in this parable, Jesus says that the master called for these people and he entrusted them with what was his. It's in verse 14. He's, he entrusted them with what was his. Did you catch that? God puts trust in us. God trusts you with the time, the talents, and the treasure that he has given you in this life. He trusts you with it. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. God doesn't give us all the same. To some, they get more. To others, they don't get as much. But our focus shouldn't be on how much we've gotten compared to someone else. Our focus should be, God, you've trusted me with this. And I am thankful for what you have trusted me with. And you have trusted me with an opportunity to use this for your glory. I want us to understand how important it is to realize that God has entrusted us. That we have God's trust. I remember when my dad would allow me to use things that were his. He trusted me to use them respectfully. As if they were his and not mine. If it was a tool, he trusted me to use his tool and not be careless with it. And bring it back in good shape. 
if he loaned me money or gave me money. He trusted me to use that money with wisdom, not frivolously, spending it crazy, be smart with it. He trusted me. That was his money he gave me to use right. If I ever used his truck, he trusted me to use his truck and bring it back the way he gave it to me, to not be stupid with it and to not scratch up his bed. I remember, my mom told me a story one time of Van, my middle brother. He's, unfortunately, he's not with us still. He, he died in a car wreck. But Van was a, he had a band. He, he was a part of a band uh, and when he was younger. In this church, actually, they called Morning Star. And, uh, and him and the, the band tra- went one night to a youth event. And he asked Dad, could he use his truck? And Dad said, yes, just don't scratch up the bed of my truck. Don't mess up the bed of my truck. Van Bard's truck. They went and they did a youth event. That next, that my dad went out to look at the truck, which is what he did. Um, he wanted to see what it looked like. Um, and he noticed a lot of scratches in the bed of the truck. Well, when Van got up that next morning, he came into the kitchen and he just began to talk about how great the night was before and how many young people got saved. Now, dad was ready to talk to him about the scratches in the bed of the truck. Van talked to him about all the people that got saved and turned around, went back to his room. Dad looked at mom and said, well, I guess I can't say nothing to him now, can I? (laughs) Truck was used for God's glory. Either that or Van was just really smart and knew how to get away with it. But um, I believe it was the former. But dad would trust us with his stuff. Maybe you've done that. You've trusted someone with what you have. This is what God does. He has trusted us with what he has given us. So we've got to begin to understand, and I'm going I'm to go through this really quickly. God owns it all. It starts with us. We have to realize we belong to God. Look at what the psalmist says, Psalm 24, verse 1. He said, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Paul re-echoed these words or echoed these words in his uh, letter to the church of Rome, Romans chapter one, verse six, you see it where he says, even those who become Gentiles, you now belong to Jesus Christ. We belong to God. And I get it. That's hard for some of us to say, I don't want to belong to anybody. I'm my own person. I don't belong to anybody. I understand that. I understand that thought because it's hard for me to relinquish control sometimes, but Jesus Christ bought us with his life. He sacrificed through the cross. And and, and then we have a choice to allow that transaction to go through for us personally. We can either refuse it or we can accept it. But if we accept it, we don't just accept the benefit of it. We accept the fact that now I now belong to God. He is my God. He is not just my salvation. He is my God. And I live my life for him. And really in reality, that should give us peace because God is a lot better at being in control than I am. And probably a lot better at being in control than you are. A lot better at being in charge than we are. It should give us peace and rest. In fact, that's what Jesus promised us. If we just put ourselves in him, we'll find that. But not only do I belong to God, but everything I have belongs to God. Everything I've been given, I've been entrusted with by God to use in this life for his glory. And I should be grateful for it. It should compel gratitude in me, joy, 
And as I'm compelled by love, like we talked about last week, I'll be moved with generosity because I understand that I belong to God. Everything I have belongs to God and everything I've been given is a gift to use and for, used for God. Everything we have is to share. Everything you have physically, everything you have spiritually, everything you have relationally, it has been given to you as a gift from God to share and use for his glory. And that means then that I am a steward of what God owns and what he's entrusted me with. So as I let my perspective shift to realize that God owns it all, that it's for me to share in whatever way he calls me to, then I realize that I'm a steward of what he's given me. So we have to ask ourselves, do we use our time, our gifts, and our money? And I'm not saying all of it. You have to take care of yourself and your family, of course. But do you take the opportunity to use your time and your gifts and your, your money as if you believe that God gave it to you and as if you value that God trusts you with it? Because listen, when we don't steward well, we don't just mismanage what God's given us. We mismanage God's trust. If you're a parent, you know that one of the things that you hope never happens is that your children mismanage your trust. We don't just mismanage the resources. We mismanage his trust. We're, we're not all called to be accountants. And all the non-accountants said, amen, thank God. All the accountants, God bless you, we love you, we appreciate you, we need you. We are not all called to be accountants, but we are all called to give an account for what we've used and what we have in this life and how we've used it for God's glory. It's what... Jesus says in this parable, the master returned and he called them all to give an account. We see it in verse 19 because there's a time coming when God's going to ask us to show what we did with what he gave us. The proverb, the, the wisdom of the proverb says it this way in 27, 23. He said, know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. Now to translate that in light of what Jesus said in Matthew 25, you're the shepherd of your time, of your talents and of your treasures. God has entrusted you with something for something. And when we come into a relationship with the heavenly father, then we have a responsibility to his mission. And if we don't steward well, what he's entrusted us with, we don't just mismanage what we've been given. We mismanage our trust. And what causes that to happen is just like with the third servant fear. It's what Jesus hid in Matthew 6 very early in his ministry. It's fear. Fear of judgment made this third servant afraid to fail. Fear of failure made him play it safe because he didn't want to lose what he had. And fear of loss kept him from stepping out in faith. And so many times we're afraid to act with our resources because of, because of those things. We're afraid of how others are going to look at us and criticize us for the way that we use. Why do you use your resources in that way? Why don't you use them more I mean, for yourself? We're afraid to fail. We're afraid to step out and do anything with them because what if I don't do well with them? 
we're afraid to use our resources in, the, in, in, in any way for God sometimes because we're afraid if I use them in this way, I'm not going to have enough to take care of myself and my family. Fear paralyzes us. But we have got to battle with that fear and look at why we're afraid of having the perspective that God owns it all. He's entrusted what he's entrusted to me and I'm to steward well what he's entrusted to me. If we're afraid of it, we've got to battle with that fear. The author of Hebrews tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. God has entrusted us with what he's given to us. Our faith in using those things for his glory says back to him, God, I trust you. I trust you. So when we start to understand that everything is God's and we're just stewards of it, then it becomes very clear that every financial decision we make in this life is actually a spiritual decision for him. And it also becomes an opportunity to be trustworthy with what God's trusted us with and the opportunities that God's trusted us with. And when we steward well, what happens in our life is what happened in these first two servants' lives. We enter more and more into the joy of God and into his happiness. But we cannot have the mindset that we steward well to get more for ourselves. We steward to bring him glory. So we have to allow our perspective to shift. God owns it. He entrusts it to me. I steward. And he rewards based on how I steward. Now, as we wrap up, as we close this morning, I just, there's one passage. I'm not going to preach from this passage. Just, I want to hit a phrase that Jesus said, John chapter six. It's a parable or it's not a parable. It's a, it's an account of when Jesus fed one of the accounts where Jesus fed a multitude of people. And in this time, Jesus sees these thousands of people coming to him and he looks to Philip in John chapter six, verse five and six. And he asked me, where are we going to get what we need to feed these people? He's testing them. John tells us in his account, he's testing their faith and where the provision is going to come from. But then they get five loaves of bread and some fish and Jesus feeds multiple thousands of people with this little bit of bread and this little bit of fish. And there's so much that we can get out of this passage of scripture. But this phrase jumped out to me and I began to look at it because it was interesting to me. It just intrigued me. It was what John wrote in verse 15. He said, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. I started looking at that a little bit more. The word force, what, what he was saying is what that means is that they basically wanted to put Jesus on a throne for their own selfish gain. They wanted Jesus to be their king based on what Jesus could give them. But that's not why Jesus came. 
He did come to bring you salvation, yes. But he came for so much more. And so he didn't want to be forced in that role. And the gospel shows us And the New Testament teaches us, and Paul sums it up perfectly. When he wrote in his letter to the church of Rome and said, when you believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for you and his salvation through the cross and his resurrection, and then you confess him and declare him as Lord, you will be saved. What he's saying, when you declare him as Lord, is you're saying he is the Lord owner. That's what that literally means. He is the owner. He is in control. He is over all. Jesus did not come to this earth to be forced on the throne for our selfish gain. He came and humbly gave himself on a cross so he could be our God and we can trust him as our Savior and our Lord and for an eternal reward is for so much more than our own selfish gain. Everything you have been blessed with today has eternal significance. God's entrusted you. Are you allowing yourself to say, God owns it. He's entrusted me with what he's entrusted me. And I want to steward it well and know that he will reward me based on how I steward. Stand with me this morning. We're just going to close in prayer this morning. But as we pray, I just, I want to take a moment for you to just think about that, 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 that idea that Jesus, he died for your salvation. But he is your Lord. He is meant to be your Lord. If you've never allowed God to be Lord of your life today, please make today that day that you step out and say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to relinquish everything that I'm trying to control in this life. I want to give it up. I want to let you begin to lead me. You direct my steps. I'll make my plans, but God, you direct my steps. I want to give my life completely to you, God. And it starts with with you, just as Paul said, confessing in your heart. You make those statements from your heart that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, was resurrected from a death on a cross, gave his life so that you can have an eternal salvation and reward in heaven. But more than that, he's your Lord. And you want to give your life to him, to serve him, Use everything he's entrusted you with the best you can for his glory. So I'm just going to pause in this moment. I want to let you just take a moment in your own words. If you're here today and you've never taken that step to pray, I just want to give you the opportunity in your own words to pray that to God. Thank you, Jesus. God help us to pray that prayer today and it's your first time, I encourage you to tell somebody. You come with somebody today, tell that person. 
you have somebody close to tell that person, if you need to tell me or another pastor, come find us and tell us. I'm making that declaration today. If you want to, we can put a number up on the screen that you can text the word hope to. And we'll begin a journey with you and helping you begin to follow Christ in this life. And if there's anything else that you need prayer about today, you can just text the word prayer to that same number. And we'll begin a conversation with you about what you need prayer about. Father, I just thank you in this day, in this moment, for your word. I thank you for everything you've done in this service. And Father, I pray now that that you will seal your word by your Holy Spirit. And help us today to understand and realize, God, that we are yours. That we belong to you. And that us relinquishing control to you, Father, where that might be hard, it could be the best thing that we do in this life. Because the peace that comes from you being in control is greater than any peace we can try to create on our own. So help us today, Father, to understand you own it all. And what we have, you have entrusted us with. So help us, Father, to manage your trust well manage our resources well, to honor you, to bring you glory, and to know that one day we will be rewarded based on how we steward. Help us to make this perspective shift today if we need to. And if we already understand it this way, God, help us to continue to walk in it and to always serve you over anything else. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God bless you guys today. We pray the word touches you. If you're new, we'd love to connect with you, get to know you. Stop by the tables in the lobby. Go be catalysts for transformation this week. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com. Go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to request prayer or send us anything that you would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803 803- Six seven six seven five six six, and we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.